0: Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Dr. Steve Wood. Joining me, Dr. Bill Kanaski. How are you? Happy New Happy Year to New you. Happy New Year. Happy
1: yeah. New Year, 2024. I gotta say, 23, pretty, pretty, pretty solid. Uh we kicked ass uh at courtroom sciences. Uh we um had, uh, had a lot of positive things happen and um, for both of us and uh and for the company as a whole uh we we we, we got uh some really amazing results for uh for clients and uh Gus got got many many new cl- uh clients and in, in, in 23 podcast rocking for, for the first time in many years like i don't have a rant about about the year before i i'm actually very thumbs up on uh Ah, uh, the way 2023 went, and I'm looking forward to 24. What's your thoughts on this?
0: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, 2023 was good. Like you said, for me professionally, for us, you and I, and for the, for the company, met met a lot of cool people, nice people, great. Yes. You know, uh, great presentations we gave, new clients, great clients, got a lot of good feedback on the podcast, new listeners on the podcast. So yeah, I zero, zero complaints for me.
1: It is it is rocking, and you know, and we're gonna start off this year. This is our first episode of the year, and it's our favorite thing to do. Viewer list or listener mail, yeah. And so I I collect these, you know, I just collect these and put them in a in a file, and then we bring them out every, you know, couple months. Uh, some of these are from emails. A lot of these are from uh, post speech uh, conversations I've had with attorneys or or clients. Um, so I, I got a solid list. I know you have a, a couple as well. I'm going to tell you some, of, some of these questions are a little bit off the wall, but we have, we have, you know, we have people that, um, that listen to this podcast that come up to me after a speech, like, Hey, I listened to the podcast and they start asking questions. So I, I've, I, I've got, a, I've got a solid list here.
0: Excellent. Um, let's, let's start it then. Let, fire away.
1: We're going to jump right we're going to jump right in and i think this is. i, I think this could be the one of the most important uh qu- questions in the listener slash viewer mail here is uh this is from a defense attorney um how can i deal with anchoring by plaintiff's counsel now we've talked about anchoring before uh it is a very powerful um uh, phenomenon um and we and mostly what we've talked about is um, you, you got to know it's coming. You got to know what it is, right? And the plans Council is going to set that anchor, right? Uh, they could, they, they, depending on what venue, you know, they could do it in jury selection, but they're definitely going to do an opening statement. And they're certainly going to repeat it in a closing argument. And we've talked about, you know, in the vast majority of cases is you need to give a number to counter anchor, right? We've right. We've, we've We've discussed all this. However, what I had told this—this this, this, this was a question that that I've gotten a, a couple times. But uh, I was talking to a uh, uh, a defense attorney after a speech, and I said the way the way you really deal with this countering—I'm sorry, this um, anchoring issue—is in jury selection. Okay, so 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 try to follow me here. So what you do in jury selection, okay, if you really want to poison the well and torpedo the whole anchoring issue, right? Is during voir dire, you ask the jury, you say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, right? And this, this is not the first question. Obviously, you're going to work up to this. Has anybody here, right, watch what I'm doing. Has anybody here heard about the concept of anchoring? Now, somebody may have. Hold up their hand, right? Now, here's here's the example you use. You, you, for example, for example, we've all applied for jobs, right? We've all negotiated a a salary, right? Compensation, and say you want to make, you want a hundred thousand. Let's just use a round number. You want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, you may have asked for one twenty-five, knowing that you want to be at a hundred. You asked for one twenty-five, knowing that you know they would they would probably counter on you, right? And you end up someplace in the middle. That's a classic example of anchoring. Does everybody here know what I'm talking about? Now everybody on everybody in the whole room is going to know what anchoring is. Then, <laughs> essentially, depending on how ballsy you are, is you say, "I expect players is going to do the same exact thing, in opening and closing, uh, with his or her uh, damages amount." Now, you know, and and so now you you're really just indoctrinating them to what's coming up. You can ask a couple other follow up questions. I think that's a great way to deal with anchoring. And here's the other thing, because remember, there's like the 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 every every action has a counter. Um, Every action has a reaction. Right. So you're you're going to try to expose this anchoring. Now, don't forget, the other side of this is lowballing. Right. That's right. right? So it's a great time to also say, now this is all jury selection. You're programming the jurors. Pre-programming them for what they're going to hear and to hear it your way, and you say, "I am going to give right a counter to their damages number. I'm not admitting liability, right? You say that up front, and some people may consider that something called low. Does anybody know what lowballing is? Right, everybody's going to know what lowballing is, right? Most people, and you maybe give another example. The purpose being, do that in voir dire, okay. And get this topic going. Because here's the thing. When plaintiffs counsel stands up and starts talking about money, you've you've torpedoed that with the education on anchoring and jury selection. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's
0: a good it's a good idea. And I think the only, you know, when you talk about lowballing, the only thing is there is you need to be At least cognizant of what your counter anchor is. I think too often when we do these types of things, and people are talking about counter anchoring, there's not much thought into what they're doing. And then when you do lowballing, it usually is perceived as lowballing because you have such a disparity between what the plaintiff's asking
1: and what the defense is asking. Hence the reason to focus group your case. Bingo. (laughs) If you're going, listen, I'm, And, and by the way, we have all kinds of options for focus grouping and stuff like that. Okay, we won't get into the specifics of that if you are going to trial ladies and gentlemen if you're going to trial and you're not doing some form now again you may have a hundred million dollar case well you may do multiple focus right you may have a five million dollar case right but i'm still saying you should do a focus group on that you may admit the scope may be different if you're not testing your counter anchor you're gonna, you're, you're in big, big trouble because that's where the risk of the perception of low blood. All the great verdicts that I've been a part of, right? Particularly when we we know we're gonna get hit, but we need to know what's the best counter. So, hey, we don't want to piss this jury off, right? right? But we don't want to counter too high because then we're wasting money. You test that in the focus group model, so you know where your sweet spot is, okay? Because if, if you just go in the courtroom cold and the playoff attorney asked for $50 million and you come back with 800,000 because you think that's what it's worth, but you haven't tested that. Many jurors can be like, are you out of your, are you out of your effing mind? Right. That's crazy. Right. Now, if you've done your research and you know, wow, you know, anything under $2 million really ticked this jury off. But when we, when we repeated the study and we, We countered with, you know, three or four or something like, like we know where our sweet spot is that has worked every time in my career by testing it. So you can be very confident in the number that you are putting in front of the jury because you, 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 you tested it.
0: And I think, you know, going back to you talk about testing it, you don't think plaintiff's attorneys have been testing their amounts. I mean, I know that they, they, they test it. How high can I, how high can I go? How high can I go without making jurors mad, but how low can I go to not get my client enough?
1: Yes. And we've, I've been told for 20 years as well, my client won't pay for jury research, blah, blah, blah. Well, we've come out with some new stuff that is extraordinarily cost effective. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. So if you don't think you can afford it, you're going to be shocked because you actually can. So call Steve and I, and we'll, we'll, we'll tell you about that privately.
0: And I think the other thing we want to talk about on, on counter anchoring too is you can't just, and when you throw out your numbers, it has to have some justification behind it. You have to be able to look at yeah. you know, the, the life care plan and say, here, this is excessive. This is not needed. Sure. This is Here's what's rational. Here's what's reasonable. But to just go out there and say, they're asking for too much money. We think it should be less and then move on. Jurors exactly. are going to say, it doesn't make any sense to me. You, that's just you lowballing. You know, that's you just trying to drive exactly. the number down. But if you can articulate why <laughs> it's that much, because most of the time plaintiff attorneys don't, because especially when you're talking about pain and suffering and all these other things that don't have any sort of standard, they end up pulling these wild ranges that they use in order to say, well, let's give them $500 a day for the next 20 years. And that's going to be X amount of money.
1: Exactly. So do your homework before you start, you know, going, going to trial and throwing these, throwing these um, numbers out there. Um, Next question. Okay. This is our first off the wall question. Legitimate question in 2024, Steve. You ready? I'm ready. I'm going to direct this one to you that I'm going to comment on afterwards. Is <laughs> This actually comes up more, more than I'd like to admit. Um, is it okay if my witness wears her nose ring to her video deposition?
0: Uh, That's a hard no. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, in those situations, you have to understand that jurors will, and even even mediators and all these other people, will make snap decisions. You know, I've talked about on the podcast before about the concept of thin slicing, where you take small snippets of information and formulate opinions of people based upon very, very small, you know, pictures, videos, all that type of stuff. So I would say no, because, you know, like I said, that might be their thing. That might be the way that they uh, portray themselves. But the truth of the matter is you don't want that in a deposition because you don't want it to distract.
1: Yeah. I think in most instances, you're you're right. My first question was, well, what what type of nose ring we're talking about? <laughs> I've seen some nose rings, like the right. one going through the septum. That's like yeah. the- like When the you bold. said that,
0: that's exactly what I yeah. thought. I didn't-
1: Yeah. Now, I did have a case where we let this slide where um, it was a former employee. So to, to get her to just participate in debt prep was a miracle. And we didn't want to piss her off. And it was one of those nose rings kind of like right there on the corner. It was very, very- Like you you almost couldn't see it. Okay. like y'all had to really really look and we had gotten her so far we're like let you know let's just let it go and it was kind of in a um how can i say this without you know epically pissing everybody out. it was in a venue that was fairly liberal and it, it like it was like put this this way most of the jurors had nose rings does that make sense yeah like yeah. it didn't really make a difference and her her um position in the company at the time was not one of like she wasn't an executive, so we kind of let that one go. But I'd say, yeah, in most instances, I'd say convince them to get rid of it. It's not going to do any good. Uh, and if they have the bull ring one right in the front of the septum, that's I don't think that's ever going to go. go no, yeah, and when
0: you, like I said, when you said that, that's all I was anticipating was was that coming in. But no, I think to your point, um, each situation is different. But ninety nine percent of the time, but I hear what you're saying. If you need to do it in order to keep your relationship with with the witness to get the witness to cooperate. And if that's what they want, then yeah. So be it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next, next question, which is highly related to this. Um, I'm going to let you start with this. Um, My witness uh, has, uh, my witness was terminated after the incident, but I still need to present him at depth. I called him to tell him uh, that I was his attorney and that he wouldn't have to pay for everything. And I was looking forward to his prep he hung up and told me to go F myself. What should I do? Mm. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I the, that's, a, that's a tough one. What do you do? I mean, to your point is there's not, I mean, you can't necessarily coerce them to get in, to come in and, and work with you or whatever. And you have to understand, like you said, we've said before, the terminated client is one of the most difficult ones uh, to work with. You know, I guess in that situation, what I would recommend is you, you got to start off small with them, meaning yeah, it has small. to be like, it has to be like a like a, a a relationship where you warm them up to the process, get them yeah. to understand yeah, what you are, what your goal is and stuff like that versus, Hey, you're in this lawsuit. I want to, I want you to come in so that I can meet with you. You know, yeah. most people wouldn't want a phone call from an attorney out of the clear blue.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, in many cases I had one of these, um, um, and I think is the case in this one is, uh, they're named, they're individually named. So I, yeah, I, I think reaching out, um, well, first of all, the way you fix first, yeah. So you want to reach out and in, in, in a far more soft caring yeah. way. <laughs> number one to say, Hey, there's this lawsuit. Hey, I'm here to help you. I'm on your team. You're not paying a nickel. And I listen, I want to, I want to protect you. I know this is stressful, um, Yeah. You know, how are you doing with, right. Be more the therapist before you're the attorney, right? right here, here, you've already pissed the dude off, right. And he told you to F off. No, it was go F yourself, right. Distinct difference there, but there is a difference. um, I would say F, off. I say go F yourself is a little bit more powerful than F off, but you know, to, to each his own. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would send, I, I would, I would re I would reach out again. I would apologize, That's yeah. what I would I would say listen, yeah i I came you know listen, uh, sorry that I reached out and kind of jumped right into business. I should have asked you, hey, how are you today? How are you doing? um, you know you're part of this lawsuit. um listen, yeah, you know, I'm one of the good guys. I'm here to help you um um how is it, has this been impacting you how you know how your stress levels are you obviously you're a little bit angry but let, let, you know let's let's talk about that i i want to help you through this that's one of the things i want to do i'm not just going to be a lawyer here I, I i need to be you know i need to be here for you as a as a as a support you know and everything you tell me is privileged and confidential and and let this person vent let yeah. let this person call everybody names and just get all that emotion out. But I do think you have a do over opportunity. I think, I think that's a good way to go.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think when you say being, being a name defendant, it brings up another, you know, problem too, where like you said, wanting to get them to understand that too, to say, Hey, you're a name defendant in this case and kind of let them yeah. know what the implications are and say, Hey, like you said, I'm on your side. I'm here to prevent any sort of damage to you. So I want to make sure, like you said, just getting them to know that they're there. Because I think one of the things we talk about too mm-hmm. often is that witnesses get the feeling that the only reason why the attorney is reaching out to them is because they want to cover the the the, the, the main company. Yeah, and You think witnesses aren't smart enough to know that to say, the only reason yeah. why you're even reaching out to me is because you don't want the company to get hit. You don't care about yeah. me. You don't care you about me. my well-being you don't care about whether i'm ready for you just want to make sure your client doesn't get hit so the the fact that you don't think that they're aware of that so i think like you said <laughs> to your tact i think would help get them more comfortable get them more understanding because once again most people don't like to deal with attorneys even it's even witnesses when we get ready to prep them who are willing to do it talk about how stressful yeah. it is when they get calls and emails from their attorneys and i think that's one of the things that that gets lost is the stress that, that they get once they get an yeah. email or a call.
1: I know uh, attorneys always tell me, like, God, they did so there's so much better since I've got you involved. I wonder why I'm like, cause I, cause I, I show concern for them. I yeah. show empathy. I don't just jump right into the damn case. So right. develop some rapport, uh, folks Absolutely. with anyway, not just with, with, with any witness. I think you really need to attorneys need to work more on developing rapport, showing some empathy, and 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 asking these witnesses, you know, you know, how are they doing as a person? And, and what we've, we've, we've already covered a million times is many of these people have other shit going on in their life that's stressing them the hell out. Yeah. And you need to be able to let them vent about that stuff and get that up. You're going to develop more rapport, which leads to more trust, which leads to more openness, which leads to more motivation to help you and to be prepared, which leads to better outcomes
0: which one thing i want to do close up on that too is that takes time right i think one of the times we, we get always why is this going to take six to eight hours yeah well, it takes six to eight hours because the first couple hours needs to be rapport building or you should have yeah. already done it before yeah so don't be yeah. don't don't rush the process i guess
1: don't rush the process you have a couple of questions steve
0: yeah one of the questions i have for you that i, I keep getting often is you know when witnesses say, I don't know in a deposition, you know, attorneys will say, well, does it sound bad? Or even the witness will say, does it sound bad that I don't know the answer to the question? Should I know the answer to the question? So what would you say in that situation about witnesses saying, I don't know, problematic, good, bad?
1: Well, it really depends on who the witness is and what their role is, right? So for example, if it's a medical malpractice case and the question is to the surgeon, who performed the procedure and there's a bunch of, I don't knows that looks pretty damn bad. Right. Right. Versus you're right. If it's an ancillary witness, right. Or say it's the nurse in that case and they're asking the nurse stuff that maybe that nurse really shouldn't know because she's, he or she's not a physician. Right. Um, then it's, it's completely, um, appropriate. So I think it really needs to match. Well, first off, we always tell witnesses, hey, listen, you got to tell the truth. And if I don't know is the truth, then that's what you go with, number one. Number two, there are certain things you don't want your witnesses to know. Like, you know, they're asking the nurse questions about the the surgeon. You want the answer to be, hey, I don't know, ask the surgeon, right? And vice versa. They're asking the surgeon questions about the nurse. You want the surgeon saying, I don't know. You'd have to ask the nurse. I'm not a nurse. So there, there were I don't knows are really, really effective and really important. But if it comes across as a perception of lack of preparation, you don't have your shit together, you haven't reviewed the medical record in a medmal case or something like that, you know, that's I, I think that that can be a problem. So I think it's going to be on a case by case, witness by witness basis. And then the clear differentiation between, I don't know. And I don't remember. Right. right? Meaning I don't remember, right. I, it's a memory issue versus a, a knowledge issue. Those are, those are two, you know, I, I, many witnesses don't remember things because, you know, the case is from 2017, right. I just worked on a case this week that, the uh, the, a trucking, uh, case, um, you know the accident's from 2017, and COVID got in the way, and then the case got bumped and bumped and bumped, and you're asking witnesses about shit that happened six years ago, six and a half years ago. That that's that's pretty tough. So that's another example. Whereas I've worked on a couple cases where the you know depths are coming up, and the case is not even like, maybe a year old, and and they're fast tracking it. Well, now and I don't remember when you're talking about something from maybe a year ago, right? So I think it's really going to be. Uh, on a case by case basis, what that yeah. witness's role is and 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 and, and kind of what the situation is um with their answers,
0: and the reason why I bring that up is, you know, I've been hearing lately that you know, opposing counsel a lot of times will will get the "I don't know" and actually use the "I don't know," like you said, is ammunition to say they don't why won't they know this? But going back to the point where they know, other people know the nuance of this this event happened in 2017 it's now 2023 there's somehow this expectation that they're supposed to know and yeah. it always amazes me though that that jurors will at sometimes hold people accountable for that and say how do they not know how do they how do they not remember that it was a traumatic event how do they not know every single piece of information yeah.
1: Yeah, and so yeah, it does depend on um like and for example, here is let's kind of juxtapose two things here, right? So let's say a a a healthcare case, a medmal case, right, surgery gone bad or whatever. And a um a, a transportation case where there's a accident on the on the interstate. Well, here's the thing. When the surgeon's doing the surgery, oftentimes the event doesn't happen until days later, right? Or is it yeah, right? Post a post-op infection takes days, right? So there wasn't any traumatic event at the time. To- it was a typical surgery, right? Whereas the, the guy driving the 80,000, 80,000 pound tractor trailer, right? The accidents, the accident, right? And there could be dash cam video. Well, there is no dash cam video, right? Uh, example of a, of a surgery. So, um, so there's, there's very different ways in which these events happen in which um the perception of a memory or lack of memory i think can be taken you know several different ways yeah if you um i mean i i was there for the birth of my two children and and yeah i i remember both of them <laughs> right yeah i was there um and i know there's been times um you know when my kids were be- between the ages of you know two and five yeah they got sick they got really sick right now Steve I I could not I, I don't remember one of those times i I don't I, I don't know I, I I mean that was 10 15 right 17 years ago depending on which of my kids i I don't have them like I know they were they've been sick as when they were really young right i I don't really remember those specific illnesses but I remember when uh, Billy broke his arm in the basketball game. Right. And I rushed him to the ER and then he had to have. I remember that. So, yeah, I think it's based on what they're being asked to remember. Um, I, I think, you know, the expectation is going to be based on, you know, what it is, how long ago it was, how significant uh, it was. And then, you know, these witnesses also oftentimes do have materials, exhibits, for example, the medical record in a medical case that may help them with their memory, or the dash cam video in the trucking case. But Steve, sometimes you have cases where there's none of that. There is none of that. And so it's a 100% reliance on memory. And we know that memory is notoriously flawed. And so again, it's a tricky issue that again is going to be varied on case to case. I do think the explanation of why a witness doesn't remember something. You know, why don't you know or because yeah, oftentimes'll oftentimes we'll we say I don't know, I don't remember the follow-up question at that position sometimes is well why why don't you? And sometimes the very simple answer is because it was seven years ago right right <laughs> Or you know there was nothing about you know, for the physician right There was nothing about that surgery at the time that was abnormal. Um, it may very well make you perfect sense and if you end up in trial, And there's a bunch of I don't knows that weren't follow up, on from the depth and say during adverse examination, those come up. Then defense counsel needs to ask the witness, well, why don't you know the specifics so they can look at the jury and say, hey, it was seven years ago or that particular event was a kind of standard operating procedure. There was nothing really uh, nothing unusual about it. Therefore, I don't have a specific recollection. So I think these can be worked with. Well, I think the other thing
0: too, I wanted to touch on about why this comes up as well. And you kind of mentioned it like, you know, 30 B sixes and an expectation is know certain things, but I mean, how many times have we seen where witnesses during the prep don't see documents and don't see things. So when yeah. they say, I don't know, it's something that they probably could have known had they had the time in prep. So the, the other point being is to your, you know, you had said some things they should know, some things you don't want them to know, but at the same time, I think attorneys could help eliminate some of the, I don't knows by making sure whatever documents they know are going to be shown to them, they're familiar with them. So then they can speak to them. Then it helps to build their credibility to reduce the, I don't knows because as we know, sometimes jurors will give witnesses a pass for saying, I don't know. And sometimes they won't. And a lot of times it goes to whether or not they're siding with the plaintiff for the defense. I mean, how many times have we seen where someone's pro plaintiff, they hammer that witness for not knowing versus the pro defense jurors like, well, it was seven years ago. Let's give them a break. So you yeah. kind of try to reduce that by eliminating them.
1: And, and depending it. on your case, if you have a lot of those, uh, that's a voir topic. Yeah. You bring, you bring that up. You bring that up. And so they know what's coming, right? And it, it happens. So
0: And we sure as heck like don't want them to
1: speculate. Exactly. Speculation leads to a lot of trouble. Uh, next question. Um, I, I think this is very interesting. I think this is very interesting. I've been in the situation many of times. Um, I'm going to hand this off to you first. Is it better received by jurors if a female attorney cross-examines an adverse female witness versus a male doing it? Now, so so say you have a a female plaintiff, right? I've had many of trial teams say, I don't know if I want the male or male, you know, defense attorney up there hammering away. Maybe the jurors see that as a bully, you know, David versus Goliath. We may want to have our female attorney, right? And by the way, this I, we get the same question with race. Yeah, you know, we have we have an Hispanic witness. Yeah, do we really want the white guy asking questions? Do we have an Hispanic uh, lawyer on the team? Maybe we should do that. It it's a really touchy situation. I do think it's a valid question. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, my initial thought is <laughs> I tend to I tend to like the female on on female because especially now. Kind of within the current climate that we're in, with you know the Me Too movement and a lot of the other things that are going on, I just think you don't want to set yourself up for any sort of perception of, like you said, of bullying. And we saw how it played out. Really, go back to uh, Amber Heard and, and Johnny Depp, where you saw the female, the female attorney cross-examined Amber Heard versus uh, the male yeah. attorney. So, I tend, I tend to like it, especially if you're talking about sensitive topics as well. I mean, I, I've worked on a case. Uh, involving sexual assault and now do you really want the male attorney cross-examining the the victim yeah. um i think that is a strategy but tend to me, my my personal thought would be to to match
1: yeah um here's well here's the other it always comes back down to this test your case folks yeah D- r- do that do that in a focus group and see what happens do it both ways in the focus group and see what happens that's what the plaintiffs do they focus group this shit do it in front of a focus group, that's going to give you your ultimate answer. Cause really, when it comes to a Steve, you may not have a female attorney right. on your staff, on, on the team, to be available to do that. Or you may not have a, a Hispanic attorney to cross examine a Hispanic way. You it may not be possible.
0: To your point, testing it would definitely be a thing yeah. because a lot of times we think maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't matter. But you know, how many times have we heard where we we heard from attorneys or clients that think race is going to matter or they think this yeah. is going to matter or that's going to matter. And it ends up not mattering at all.
1: But being a non-issue. So test your cases folks. Um, all right. This next question is just a- absolutely insane. Okay. I'm I'm not naming names. Um, I, I actually hope this person does not listen to the podcast cause they're, they're going to know it's them. I've been hanging on to this question for about six months. So I've, I've kind of waited on this. <laughs> This is an actual question. And this was Hardly this hard was hard to, in writing email. Up. I have I have cut and paste this. You ready? Yeah. Dear Bill, I am sick of practicing law. Can I come and work for you and be a jury consultant? I have lots of legal experiences and I think it would be a good fit for me. <clears throat> um, I did reply to the email. Um I was very professional in my response. Um, The answer is no, you cannot work for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, you can't. Um, And the reason why is the um, is is that we we, I mean, this is our philosophy of courtroom sciences. It's my personal philosophy. I need people with advanced training in psychology. I don't need a lawyer. A lawyer is not going to help courtroom sciences. We right. actually had one of those before. That didn't work out too well. Again, no names. Uh, no, I, I don't need a lawyer. No, no, no. I, I need, I need, I need people with advanced training in psychology. I don't need. Um, I, I, if you've been trying cases for twenty years and you think you picked juries really well, go, go start your own consulting firm. Don't. I know. I, no. I don't want that, that. And that's the value that we bring. We're we're non lawyer. You know, we're not lawyers, right? Yeah. I mean, if a well, and we, we do have competitors that are lawyers which we shall not name uh, that prep witnesses, um, which is, which is almost hilarious at this point. Um, they love the pivot. We'll we'll leave it at that. You guys can figure it out. But if you're in a, att- like, what value are you bringing a legal team for like I'm an attorney and I can also be your consultant. No, you, you already have attorneys. Right. And that's why people call you and I, that's why attorneys call you and I is because we're not attorneys. Right. We, we bring a skill set that has nothing to do with law. I have zero legal training. Neither do you. I don't want any legal training. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't think. Um, again, our field's unregulated. You could, you know, you can be an attorney and be a consultant. I just don't. What are your thoughts on it? It's no, kind of, it an awkward I, question that caught me off guard.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, there are there are obviously some some attorneys out there that do this, um, but I think to your point, that's why I like to do it. You know, as because we don't have legal training and it allows us to defer to the attorneys. Cause I think one of the things I always preach when I go in there is, Hey, I'm not coming in to do your job. I'm coming in to help do your job. Like I'm not coming in to take over. I'm coming in to help you do your job. You have the legal acumen, you have the legal experience. You're the attorney. I trust you on all those areas of law. And then in return, just trust me on the psychological aspect, trust me on the jury decision-making aspect. And I think that's what helps make a nice relationship is we realize where each one's strengths are and I don't cross into theirs is they don't cross into mine.
1: Yeah, this is, this is separate. So we'll, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Um, um, by the way, about five years ago, I had a claims person from a major insurance company send me an email. Like, can you talk? I thought she was calling with a new case. And I said, Hey, how's it going? And she's like, um, I hate this job. I've been doing this for 20 years. I really, really like what you do. It'd be awesome. Can I apply for a job with you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and she got mad. Well, you don't think I could. I'm like, no, you can't do it. No. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go get a patient in psychology and then, then call me. I'm like, no, you, no, no. You're this. You think this is easy? Well, I've handled X number of claims and I know how this system works. I'm like, no, no, it's just, please, just please stop. Um, <laughs> Maybe Next that's
0: your one, rant. That's your rant to start. That's off my rant.
1: That's my rant for the day. Um, I have a couple more here. Um, okay, Steve, this is a great this is a great question. And I've seen people do. Th- I don't think this is a good idea. I gotta let, but this is I want you to answer first, right? Okay. Uh plaintiff, I know plaintiff's counsel is using reptile tactics for my upcoming trial because he used them during deposition. Should I use the actual reptile book in my closing argument? To show the jury and to tell the jury what is really going on. Oh,
0: that's interesting. That that's that, that's interesting. You know, I had it I had it uh, happen the other day where during a mock I heard where the attorney laid out the reptile theory and said this, and he even went as far as to say he's trying <laughs> to tap into your reptile brain. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So my answer, okay, first off, my answer is no, right? Because you're not even going to describe reptile the right way, because most of you folks still don't understand it.
0: Well, I how many yeah. how,
1: how many podcasts do I have to do about that?
0: Well, I think it's, the other.
1: I mean, come on. <laughs>
0: the other thing too is, as you and I both know, and we we have a paper coming out. Reptiles oh, yeah. dead.
1: Oh yeah, soon.
0: Reptiles dead. dead. It's it's dead. the edge. It's the edge now. Dead so dead. if you're if if you're talking about dead the reptile. Baby. If you're talking about the reptile, you're you're talking about reptile theory. You're only telling plaintiff attorneys that you're not up, up to snuff on the latest and the
1: greatest. Up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's advanced. The funny thing was, I just got something in my. I think I forwarded it to you, about thirty days ago. About the, uh, um, one of the companies, CLE companies, was offering a reptile seminar. I'm like, wait, wait, on? I'm like, where have you people been? (laughs) Yeah. Like, who's putting on this reptile seminar? It's two. It's 2024. And I'll tell you, you been, where have you been.
0: And I will tell you privately. <laughs> where, uh, you're late to the party. I can tell you privately. Plaintiff attorneys laugh when people talk about that because they're because they know it's like hilarious because they know you're you're behind the eight ball and we've
1: already told you what to do. It's like we have the anti-reptile playbook for free. It's just go to our article section. Listen to we've done what. 50 podcasts on this topic. I mean, you want to learn how to beat that. I mean, it's it's right there.
0: Yeah. I think I the other thing too is if, if you're showing no, if you're showing 100%. the book, most attor- most attorneys lately have been, have using motion eliminates, right? So if you're using a motion eliminate to stop plaintiff attorney from using it, you sure as hell aren't going to bust out the book either and start talking about it. So you probably should have preempted it in the first place so you didn't have to get to a point or even bring it up.
1: No, I don't think it's a good idea. I think you just beat them just yeah. beat him. You don't need, you, need to do that to.
0: Well, you beat him, you beat him in beat deposition, him. beat him in deposition and you beat him in preparation on the in, yeah. in the research.
1: That's what you do. Not showing the jury the reptile book. Jesus. <laughs> dumb, dumb stuff. That's okay. Yeah, so, some of these are just completely idiotic, but but they're but they're fun. They're they're, they're fun questions. Uh Bill, are you still getting yelled at by your wife about loading the dishwasher? Now, listen, We did, a, I did I did a rant about loading the dishwasher and how just my sons and I just get berated every day about. Uh, so here's the answer to the question is, no, I'm not getting yelled at anymore. Do you want to know why? OK, because here's what I do. I put the silverware in the dishwasher because you cannot screw that up. There's no way to screw that up. OK, but if I have bowls or plates, I just wash them by hand. Smart. She's like, what are you doing? I go, I'm, I'm washing dishes. She goes, well, we have a dishwasher. I go, see, the trap's been set, Steve. (laughs) I'm not falling into the trap again. I go, I know, but I don't want to get, you know, my ass handed to me by you for loading it wrong. Therefore, I'm going to wash this plate by hand, put it on the other side to dry, and then I'll put it away later. And she goes, well, that's, you know, that's dumb. We have a dishwasher. If you just use it right, we wouldn't have this issue. I said, well, that's where the disagreement is. That's where the, dis. it's the bowls, Steve, the bowl, the, the bowls, these bowls don't fit in the, the slots don't make, no. And the bowls come in different shapes and sizes. The plates are, yeah, you can't screw up the plates. It's the bowls in the dishwasher. It just, you go right to divorce court with this. I'm telling
0: you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you found a solution.
1: I think it's a good idea.
0: I I, I hand wash sometimes too, just to to make everything, my life easier.
1: Just, I don't want, I don't, I don't want the issues. Um, The rest of these questions are pretty funny. Um, uh, 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 Bill and Steve, I really enjoyed your chicken wings episode. Remember I did the rant on the cost of the price of chicken wings. Uh, And then we had, we had the infamous blue cheese debate, right? Um, Outside of buffalo sauce, what are both of your favorite chicken wing sauces? I tell you what I'm addicted to right now. I just had them. I had them last night. I just had the leftovers uh, here at about noon. Uh, I'm very big on garlic Parmesan. Where are you at on this?
0: Uh, garlic parmesan's good. I'm more of like a, a sweet heat, a, like Asian zing type uh, flavor. And my son's got Those me turned out of this hot mustard as well. So I like the hot mustard as well because like hot honey
1: mustard. Ooh, where do you hop? You got hot mustard? Ooh. ooh.
0: Yeah, wings and more.
1: I, I I had uh, my local place. I did not see that. I may have to try that. I tell you this right now, your traditional, like the buffalo. By the way, when, when I was growing up, there was only one sauce. I know what it was? Buffalo. Yeah. There's <laughs> mild and hot. Now you got all the, you got like a million different sauces. I can't handle the buffalo sauce anymore. I'll have indigestion for the next three, four days. It's, it's brutal. Even the mild, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't take, my stomach can't take it anymore. I'm getting too old for this.
0: Jeez. Oh. That's how you know you're getting too old when you can't eat buffalo. That's just
1: me. Okay. Um, okay. Here's, um, okay. Here's, here, here's another question. I've heard this, like, you're just going to laugh at this. I'm going to throw this to you, Steve. Um, I heard somewhere that, um, my witness should wear a blue shirt when they testify or blue blouse because it makes the, there's science that says it makes them more believable seriously <laughs> i i mean you really sent me this question really really steve don't i mean no i mean
0: it. i think a lot of like i i mean i do say blues and grays and kind of more like conservative colors well, I mean, a, don't, don't come acceptable.
1: in it's not effing believable
0: yeah yeah no yeah it's, it's more, more believable <laughs> I, I do see a lot of these things on there that i think a lot of people get get hung up on right as far as your tie should be this color and your shirt should be that like, color. like
1: dumb things dumb yeah. things should I wear glasses should I not wear glasses Yeah, that's another big one should Should I wear glasses to look more sophisticated and smarter will the jury be, I'm like no be comfortable be pre- I'll tell you this the witnesses that look most professional certainly have more believability and credibility I'll tell you that Yeah, but whether that's a white shirt or a gray shirt or a blue shirt, that's, I mean, I, I know, listen, I know you want to get the edge and get the advantage over your adversaries, but it's got to stop someplace, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, come on.
0: Conservative I mean, colors, I think, just across the board, let's, let's right? Just don't wear like a pink,
1: conservative pink colors,
0: right? Bright pink shirt <laughs> or blouse or something.
1: Yeah. I've seen witnesses try, like, do some, like, some really stupid things, like if it's like if the uh, trials and, December, like they'll wear some like Christmassy tie on the. Stands. I was like, no. Do and that. attorneys do the same. And I'm like, no. Do not wear the Santa Claus tie. <laughs> no. no, 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 no. Don't wear. wear don't wear the uh, uh, Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer uh, earrings. No, 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 I think no. Be you're authentic. Very, very I think
0: is the thing we've taught, we've harped on before, right? Be authentic. Be yourself. Don't and be. And that's authentic. People are more believable if they know if they can tell that you're not. Being authentic, they can tell you're trying to put on a show. Then you lose credibility. Don't fake it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Don't 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 fake it. The whole fake it till you make it. That doesn't work in a courtroom. No. Okay. Maybe it works in other areas. It doesn't doesn't work in a courtroom. Uh, oh, this is this is kind of a compliment, uh, Bill. I saw you at the speech last week. You're looking pretty jacked. Got that right. How do you do it? Well, I. I lift heavy things most days of the week. I lift them until it hurts really bad. Then I stop. Then I rest for about two, three minutes, and then I I repeat that. That's essentially what I do. But they want to know what my favorite exercise was. I have two. Fa- and I know you're a gym goer as well, Steve. Uh, and we have to on the road, right? I mean, yeah. we travel. I mean, you got you got to hit the hotel gym. Uh, my two favorite. Uh, so my upper my upper body favorite exercise by far is the lateral lateral dumbbell raises mm. get to you know I, I i i i've had some sore shoulders so i may only go with like 12 pounds but i could go up to 30 if depending on how how angry i am right uh but how i'm feeling that day but just the lateral raise the lateral raise with the dumbbells absolutely fantastic exercise and for a lower body and I really this is this is so important to people that sit a lot. And you and I have to sit a lot on airplanes and stuff, and that low back. Oh, that's awful. The um kettlebell Romanian deadlift RDL. The kettlebell. So yeah, yeah you, you spread your feet about maybe a foot apart and you have that kettlebell down there, and you're gonna bend your knees. You're gonna bend your knees and you're gonna reach down, grab that kettlebell, and you're going to do the hip hinge right? So you're not just using your lower back. And when you stand up straight, you're going to have your hamstrings and your glutes erect your body. That takes, I mean, I have no back pain since I've started doing those. No back pain. Steve, give me your favorite upper body and favorite lower body exercise, particularly for people that travel like us. Uh, my,
0: my favorite upper body probably would just be the, the normal dumbbell curls. Uh, there's something just that, uh, a good, you know, pump in Gotta your love them. in your body. Gotta love, love them. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, as far as lower body, love those. I tend to like to do the leg extensions, just where you're sitting down in in the chair and, and you're extending your legs out in front of you, focusing more on on the quads than on the hamstrings.
1: Gotta have that when you travel. Okay, last last question. I, and this, this to me, I, I think this is the best question. I think this, I saved this best for last because somebody asked me this recently. They said uh, the question was. What are things that the defense can do that really irritates the plaintiff? Meaning, from the defense team, right? Defense team versus the plaintiff team. What are things that really bother the plaintiffs? And I I can I can think of two very distinct things right here. Uh, one of them is now done a lot, which is half of what we do is when the defense takes witness prep and training really, really seriously. And these well-trained witnesses go into depth and they are highly trained and they know the plaintiff attorney blueprint that absolutely drives the plaintiff's counsel nuts. That would have been I mean insane, one, yeah. absolutely insane to stop out of there. And these cases settle for far less because of that, uh, Really, really good witness performance. But the other one that no one's talking about, that no one's talking about, and I heard this. Let's just say I heard this through the. Gra- I heard it through the grapevine. Okay, I heard it through the grapevine. Okay, now it has to be the right case. And, but here's the thing: this is something the defense does that makes the plaintiff's attorney crazy, but the defense doesn't like to do it, and that is knowing when to admit liability. Yeah, bingo. In, yeah, in I knew that's fighting pretty- the war on damages. Yeah. On- This drives, because all the juicy stuff is in the liability case, Steve. And when they admit liability, and now you're trying a case on damages only, who's on trial? The defendant's not on trial anymore. The plaintiff themselves and the damages demand and the plaintiff attorney is on trial. Now, the problem is a lot of defendants are terrified of that. They're scared of that. They don't want to do that which is another way so we do this project what we call test retest right and so we will do a focus group or a mock trial on a case on day one and we'll fight on liability and we'll let the jurors deliberate and talk about things and we'll we'll get the results then on day two we admit liability we we we, we take a lot of those bad facts out and then we do the mock trial again. Steve, talk a little bit about how important that analysis is. Because if you listen, oftentimes we do this. And on day one, we get hit for $50 million. And then on day two, we admit liability. And the damage just drops to 10. Why? The, the jury didn't hear all this bad stuff in the liability case. And therefore, the only thing they paid attention to was the validity of the plaintiff's injuries Uh and economic and non-economic claims can make a huge difference, right?
0: Yeah, you've uh, uh, you've touched off on a a nerve of me as it comes to this. Um, this kind of area kind of pisses, pisses me off um, because... Uh-oh,
1: we got to yeah, piss.
0: Yeah. So, well, the point being is, is to your point that you're saying about we need to test it and find out whether or not you get hit for a large amount or not a large amount. I think, like you said, that, that's a smart idea to test it, to find out do we need admitted liability? And if we do admitted liability, what does it look like? But here's where it really irritates me is that plaintiff's bar is upset now that the defense attorneys are admitting liabilities and admitting that they made mistakes. However, yes, plaintiff attorneys are going to sit there and go, <laughs> we've presented them with all this information. And yet still, ladies and gentlemen, they won't admit fault. They don't believe they did anything wrong. But then, yeah. as soon as turn and, and as soon as the defense turns around and says, "Hey, you know what? We screwed up. We realize we screwed up. We're ready to take accountability." Now, plaintiff attorneys are pissed at that because they know it's influ- influencing their damage awards. So, don't talk out of both sides of your mouth it's to try huge. to say that big... that you're 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 mad yeah. when they stipulate, be- and but at the same time, you want to hold them responsible. I know. So, I think I think it's a good yeah. idea, especially so when
1: t- test your case. But I gotta tell you. Ya...
0: No, I was just going to say, I think Go it's a, I think it's a good idea. It, you know, when the, when the facts are against you, I mean, how many times have we worked on cases before where we know the facts are against us and the best thing to do is to just admit that you made mistakes, you know, and, and
1: they don't want to, nobody wants to in life. People don't want to in life. People don't want to, and now you're gonna expect them to do that in litigation. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it makes a big, big difference. Yeah. And, um, it it really it really makes life difficult for a plaintiff attorney when the when the and by the way there are some cases where you would never admit liability right right or maybe it is an apportionment case and you go yeah you know we're ten percent to blame not ninety right there there's ways to do this but it really does um, I I think put a plaintiff attorney in a difficult position. When defense does admit liability, they take responsibility. They come across as very compassionate and authentic. And now the entire case is about damages, which then um, the, it's all the pressures on the plaintiff, not the defense anymore.
0: Yeah. I think you did one other thing, too. I want to close up on that. You talked about apportionment and stuff. I think that's another area to to talk about that you need to test as well as far as apportionment is when you say, are we going to are we going to stipulate and say that we screwed up and, and let's just move past the negligence and go into damages but at the same time, you can talk about when there's comparative fault that you can, you know, put mm-hmm. some fault on yourself as well and take some percentage. But then that's another thing too, where you want to test it because if you say, yeah, we yeah. take responsibility, how many times have we seen where a company's like, yeah, we'll take responsibility, five uh, percent, and then and then jurors are mad because yeah, they're the like, five oh, like, percent, okay, yeah. But at the same time, though, do you admit-
1: convenient?
0: Yeah. Then the same time, uh, you you have to question: Do we take forty percent? Is forty percent too much? So that's another thing to test, much like the anchor.
1: And if you have co-defendants, right? Mm-hmm. If you have co-defendants, well, now now we've this. Now this is very uh, elaborate, right? Because now the plaintiff can get some responsibility. You may say if you have another couple co-defendants. That's a lot of percentages to go around versus if it's one defendant, one plaintiff, that's very different. So yeah. Test your cases, ladies and gentlemen. All right. I think that concludes Vera mail, Steve. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, happy new year. Happy new year. Um,
0: yeah. I'm looking forward uh, to tw- 2024. I want, I really
1: want 24. Yeah. I really want going to war in 24. That's, that's the right. Way, I like that's it. my attitude. Maybe we'll this.
0: get, we'll get, uh, and, uh, get slogan shirts with CSI branding on it.
1: I love it. I love it. But thank you to um, all of our audience members. Uh, um, this is great. I get, again, I get contacted every week about this podcast and people um, really, really like it. They find it valuable. We enjoy doing it. So yeah. uh, Steve, take us out and we're going to wrap up here. The first episode of 2024.
0: Yes. As I say, again, I always appreciate, truly, truly appreciate all the feedback, all the, all the listeners, all the, the viewers and stuff and, and the good, this uh, good comments that we get. So um I'm, I'm really appreciative of that anyway as always go to courtroomsciences.com all of our blogs podcasts articles those are all up there you know feel free to reach out to bill or myself on our emails or cell phones um but this has been another edition of the litigation psychology podcast brought to you by courtroom sciences